Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Remember, we are working our way through the Gospel of Luke in our BAC reading plan. And this week, we are reading chapters 11 through 15. And there's a couple different passages I want to focus on in this episode. So the first one comes from Luke chapter 12, and it's verses 13 through 21. So I want to read it for you first, and then we'll break it down. So again, Luke 12, starting in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. All right, let's break this down a little bit. Now, first of all, understand that it was common in Jewish culture for people to go to rabbis or teachers to settle legal disputes, including things like division of an inheritance, division of property, those sorts of things. So this guy, he comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Now, here's the thing. According to Jewish law, the oldest son was supposed to receive double what the other sons would get when it came to the inheritance. You can read about that actually in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17. So the inheritance, the amount of the inheritance was actually fixed by the law. There's really nothing to dispute here. This guy coming up to Jesus, he has no case. He's simply being greedy. He wants more than what he's supposed to get. And then Jesus replies to him, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And most likely what Jesus is getting at here is that he didn't come to earth to deal with such trivial, meaningless disputes. His ministry, Jesus' ministry, was concerned with the eternal. And then Jesus turns around and he speaks to the crowd and he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And he goes on and says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then Jesus tells a parable to further illustrate what he's saying here, to further illustrate his, his point. And this parable starts with a rich man. Now, notice this guy is already rich at the beginning of this story. Okay, then he has an abundant harvest. And he's got so much grain, 
he doesn't know what to do with it. So what does he do? He decides to build bigger barns. He wants to tear down his current barns and build even bigger ones. Because he knows if he saves up enough, he'll be able to kick back and take life easy. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because doesn't this sound just a little bit like American culture? We accumulate so much stuff that we have to build bigger houses or even rent storage units. We, we build barns and, and sheds. We try to save up more and more so that someday we can relax and take it easy. Now understand, there is wisdom in saving, okay? I'm not saying that we should never save anything. I'm not saying we should be reckless with our finances. That's not my point. But do you know what God calls a life that's purely focused on accumulating stuff and pursuing comfort and ease? He calls it foolish. In verse 20 here, it says, But God said to the rich man, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Notice that God doesn't scold him for being wealthy or even for how he accumulated his wealth. He calls the man out for keeping his wealth to himself. It says in verse 21, This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So understand that storing up more and more for yourself and seeking comfort is a recipe for wasting your life. Jesus is saying that if you really want to be rich, if you want to have true riches, be generous toward God and toward others. Live for that. Because that will lead to eternal treasures. We have to guard against greed, like Jesus says in verse 15. But here's the problem. Greed can be a very sneaky thing. We usually don't think that we, we have it. And, and most of us probably you know, read this parable and we think, well, I'm not rich. But here's the thing. According to the world's standards, most of us are rich. We live in one of the most affluent nations in the history of the world. Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert, they're both Christians and they're economic professors. They wrote a book called When Helping Hurts, and they write this. The average North American enjoys a standard of living that has been unimaginable for most of human history. Meanwhile, 40% of the Earth's inhabitants eke out an existence on less than $2 per day. Less than $2 per day. And that's 40% of the world's inhabitants. If we bump that up to $10 per day, now we're up to about 80% of the world. And just for reference, the average American lifestyle, okay, just the average lifestyle here in America, costs about $165 per day. That's what it costs for us to wear the clothes that we do, to eat the food that we do, to drive the vehicles we do, have the houses, the health care, all of those things. On average, it's $165 per day. Meanwhile, most of the rest of the world is living on the equivalent of less than $10 or even less than $2 per day. So if we have roofs over our heads and clean water and food and vehicles and, and access to health care, 
By the world standards, we are extremely rich. Now, I'm not trying to downplay anyone's financial struggles, okay? I, I know those are very real. But I just want to make the point that in general, we are extremely blessed. And have you ever thought that maybe God hasn't blessed us just so we can accumulate more and be comfortable? Maybe God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to other people. What could the American church do? Think about this. What could the American church do if we started pooling our resources for what really matters? And we stopped living for just building bigger buildings and and for things that don't matter for eternity. So I want you to do some self-reflection this week. I want you to think about what are you really living for? Are you living to accumulate more? Just to retire? And, And again, I'm not saying that saving for retirement is a bad thing. There's wisdom in that. But is that all you're living for? just to retire, just to be comfortable? Or are you living for what counts? To advance God's kingdom. How are you using the resources that God has blessed you with? Again, it's not wrong to have a lot, but it's wrong to hoard a lot. We have to guard against greed like Jesus said in this passage. And how do we do that? We do it by radical, generous giving. Giving is the antidote to greed. We have to recognize our earthly possessions for the temporary things that they are. Live for eternal treasure. Don't get wrapped up in the things of this world. I want you to be thinking about this this week as you go through the reading plan. And one more point I want to make here. This parable, understand it, it doesn't just apply to finances. So consider, for example, biblical knowledge. Some of us are obsessed with accumulating more and more biblical knowledge. And please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But the question is, what are you doing with that knowledge? Are you just keeping it to yourself? Because it's easy to show up somewhere or listen to something and and feel good about yourself. But are you sharing all of that knowledge with others? Because there are people all around the world who would give anything just to have a single translation of the Bible in their language. Do we understand the blessings that we've been given? Do we understand that we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others? Or do we just hoard it all and stay comfortable? So again, I want to challenge us. Let's use our blessings to be a blessing. Well, another passage I want us to consider this week is from Luke 14. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. And notice that Jesus has large crowds following him at this point. And and just to, to make this point, you know, in today's day and age, people are all about having a large following. Many people will do whatever it takes to attract crowds, draw the crowds, or or draw a large following on social media. And usually once somebody gets a large following, they'll do whatever it takes to keep that following and to continue to grow it. But what does Jesus do? 
He turns around and says to the crowd, he wants them to count the cost of following him. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't try to tickle the ears of the people following him. Okay. He tells them, this is what it means to follow me. And he lays out three conditions of following him in this passage. Again, this is chapter 14, verses 25 through about 35. The first condition that he gives of following him, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, that's not something you hear preached very often, right? Now, understand it in this context, the word hate means to love less. That's clear from the parallel passage in Matthew 10. Okay, Matthew records the same event, and he records it as Jesus saying, anyone who loves father or mother more than me. Okay, so clearly hate is an exaggeration. It's, it means to love less. Okay, it's also clear from other biblical examples. For example, Jacob's greater love for Rachel in the Old Testament his, his love for Rachel is described as hate for Leah. Okay, it's not that he actually hated Leah, but it was a, a lesser love. And of course, Scripture is clear elsewhere that we're to honor and to love our parents, and Scripture upholds the importance of family. But he's saying here, Jesus is saying here, that our first allegiance is to him. And this would have been huge in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, honoring your parents was basically your highest obligation. But then Jesus comes in and he says, again, to a large crowd, he says that he should become, if you're going to follow him, he should come even before our closest relationships, before our spouses, our family, even before our own lives. Following Jesus means giving him the highest allegiance in our lives. So that's the first condition of following him. Now, the second condition of following Jesus that he gives is whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, remember, the, the cross, of course, is an instrument of death and torture. This passage signifies that when we follow Jesus, we die to ourselves. And we're willing to follow Jesus anywhere, even to the point of death. That's the second condition of following Jesus. The third condition that he gives is, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Or some translations will word it, anyone who does not renounce all that he has. Now, this doesn't mean that it's wrong to own anything, to have any possessions. We know, for example, from the Gospels that Peter had a house. He owned a home. But the point here is that nothing else should come before him, before Jesus. And I think this includes a a willingness to give up everything if need be. If God were to call us to, to sell everything to up and move somewhere else, it includes a willingness to do that. So summarizing Jesus's points here, following Jesus means putting him before everything, before our family, our friends, before our possessions, and even before our own lives. He wants us to see that following him could cost us everything 
in this life. Following Jesus means total surrender. So I want you to be careful. Don't don't fall for people who cheapen what it means to follow Christ. Now, I want to be clear here. We are saved by faith alone. Okay, We don't earn salvation by our works. I want to be clear on that. But to follow after him means that we give him everything. We surrender everything to him. There's been a tendency in the American church especially to cheapen what it means to to be in a relationship with Christ. But Jesus raises the bar here. So I, I want you to consider as you look at your life this week, do you put Jesus before everything else? Is he your everything? Or is he just another item on your list? I, I wanted to cover these two passages today because I think they go well together. They make us stop and think, what are we really living for? Are we just living for our own comfort? Just to accumulate possessions? Or do we put Jesus number one in our lives? Do we put him before everything and anyone else? I want to wrap up today with a a little story here about Jim Elliott. Some of you may be familiar with him. If you're not, he was a a missionary in Ecuador in in the 1950s. And he teamed up with several other missionaries. They were trying to reach an uncontacted tribe in the jungles of Ecuador. And some other people had tried to reach out to this tribe and to give them gifts, but those people were always attacked. So this was a a notoriously dangerous tribe to try to reach. And Jim Elliott and his team, they made months of of preparations. They, They dropped off gifts to the tribes. They broadcasted messages to the tribe in their native language. So they made all these preparations to eventually contact the tribe and to meet with them in person. And then finally, on, on January 3rd, 1956, Jim and four other missionaries landed in a plane on a small strip of land in the jungle, and they were, they were near the tribe. And they knew the dangers ahead of them. So did their wives. On January 6th, a few days later, they made contact with three members of the tribe. There was one man and, one, and two women. They exchanged gifts with the members of the tribe, and and things seemed to go well. But then on January 8th, the missionaries were were supposed to radio back to the rest of their team at 4.30, but there was nothing. Silence. Eventually, they sent in a rescue team, and they found four of their bodies, all speared to death. The fifth body was, was never found. So all five men, all five missionaries were killed. All of them were married. Four of them had kids. One of the wives was pregnant. Jim Elliott was only 28 years old when he died. And I think the world would look at this and think, what a waste. These men were were young. They were gifted. They were talented. They had their whole lives ahead of them. But I want you to listen to what Jim Elliott wrote in his journal. This was several years before going to Ecuador. He wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott and these other men, 
and their wives, they lived for eternity. They didn't live to accumulate wealth and comfort on this earth. They counted the cost and they laid it all on the line for Jesus Christ. It cost them their lives, but they are now experiencing unimaginable eternal rewards. They saw through the lies of consumerism and the empty life that this world offers. And in their few short years here on earth, they made an eternal impact. After the men died a little bit later, Jim Elliott's wife and and some other missionaries successfully contacted the same tribe. And a majority of the tribe submitted their lives to Christ. One of the first converts in this tribe was one of the men who killed the missionaries, including Jim Elliott. But understand, because these men were willing to risk it all, this tribe was reached with the gospel. So I I share this story because, again, I want to ask, what are we living for? I'm not saying we're all going to move to Ecuador and be missionaries in the jungle. But this week, I want you to be thinking through this. What are we living for? Realize that following Jesus means putting him first. We might have to risk it all, even our lives. But also understand that he is more than worth it. The rescue team that found Jim Elliott, they also found his diary. And these were the last words or some of the last words that he wrote before being killed as he was waiting to make contact with the tribe. He wrote, oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, please him. So again, understand the cost of following Jesus is high, but he is more than worth it. Let's not waste our lives. Let's live to make much of Christ because he alone is worth living for and giving our all for. Remember, he is no fool. Unlike the rich man in the parable, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose.